Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Advent, first Sunday in Advent as we prepare for Christ's birth. Of course, we already kind of know the end of that story, but we do this every year in order to rethink about what's going on in our own hearts and what we need to do to be prepared for Christmas morning. So today I want to begin by telling you a story that's going to be uncomfortable for me to tell and probably more uncomfortable for you to hear. It's the story about my almost first kiss. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. It's a good one. I was in middle school, and we used to have a break between classes in the morning time of about 15 minutes where we would have time, you know, to grab something out of the drink machine, eat a snack, something like that. And that day, I was eating one of those big Oreo cookies. Do y'all remember when they used to make those individually wrapped and it was like as big as a, a like lunchable sandwich kind of deal? It was fantastic. And my buddy came by and I'm hanging out by my locker and he said, he said, hey, um, Jill Langley wants to talk to you. And I said, what about? Jill Langley was the prettiest girl in seventh grade, and um, 
I had no idea how to have a girlfriend or what that meant or, or what it looked like. And, and basically what it looked like was for the next several weeks, I ate my Oreo cookies down by her locker instead of by my locker. And that was about the extent of it. It happened during football season. And, and so we went to a lot of the high school football games. I hope maybe some of y'all will be there Wednesday night. And, and so we sat next to each other at football games, and that's kind of what our relationship was. And I didn't know how it was supposed to be any more or less or different. I, I mean, I don't know if y'all remember those moments, but I was lost, completely lost. And then homecoming came, right? And in Dadeville, Alabama, back in the 90s, early 90s, they still did a homecoming dance after the game on Friday night. And so you just walk from the stadium up to the gym. I mean, this is like stereotypical gym dance. You know exactly what I'm talking about, where the guys are sitting on this side of the gym and the girls are sitting on this side of the gym. And then when there would be a slow song, we would feel obligated to dance together. And so, so Jill and I are dancing together. And y'all, I just want to give y'all the kind of the full experience. Can y'all see up there in the choir? Okay. And, and as the night goes on, it's a little more like this. You know what I'm talking about. And in between the slow songs, when the guys were over here and the girls were over here, I had, I had a buddy, and he was really trying to give me, you know, a pregame speech. He was trying to hype me up. He's like, tonight's the night, man. You got you to gotta do it. You got to kiss her. And I was like, I know. But, y'all, what I didn't tell him was I was terrified. I was, like, outside my skin afraid of this moment. And so when we were slow dancing, there would be moments, and I told y'all this is going to be uncomfortable, where we had kind of our heads like on each other's shoulders, kind of not so much because we wanted to be close, but because that was safe, because then you didn't have to like square up. You know what I mean? And occasionally you take your head off and then you do square up. And that's the moment, like let's pause right here, just so that everyone can feel that uncomfortable moment. You know what I'm talking about? And then Every time that happened, three or four times, maybe a half a dozen times that night, square up, and then we would bail out. It's like, abort, abort, ab like, get out. Anyway, the night ended, and, uh, and we did not uh, kiss. That was my almost first kiss, and it will surprise no one in here that Monday at school, her friend Farah gave me a note, and... Uh, yeah, it was the Dear John letter. It was, it was, it, that was the end of my first uh, romantic relationship. Now, I don't say that to, to say woe is me. Obviously, anyone who has met my wife knows things worked out incredibly well, more than I deserve. But it, but it does make me think, let me rephrase it this way. I spent the next little while in middle school really wrestling with my own fear about that. And y'all know how middle school is. I mean, my buddies were like, hey, you, you were too afraid to kiss Jill, weren't you? And there's no hiding it, I was. And y'all know how, how mean that can be and how hard that can be. But it's not as hard as in my own head, me realizing that, well, I'm not the person that I wanna be. Let me say it that way. And it, look, Kissing someone, not kissing someone, that's not the point. The point is I, I chickened out, and I don't want to be someone who's afraid in those kinds of ways. And so you have to process that. So this month, 
This whole sermon series this month is a series on thinking about what we think about. And I will venture a guess that almost all of you in this room have an inner monologue going on most of the time. And in that inner monologue, the things that you are saying to yourself or the things that you are thinking about are either things that have already happened, things that happened in the past and you're replaying them in your mind, right? You're thinking about ways that you could have handled it better. You're thinking about that thing that you should have said in the moment, but you didn't, and you thought about it 30 seconds later, and you're replaying the story in your head, thinking, man, if I had only said that. Or you're thinking about something that has not happened yet, and it's stressing you out, or it's causing anxiety. You're worrying about something that might happen tomorrow, or next week, or next year, or whatever. And so Ebenezer Scrooge, the, the Christmas Carol story, really kind of sets it up well for us to examine looking at the moments in our past and our dreams about the future so that we can be present in this present moment because it's the one that we have. In order to do that, I want us to look at a, a character in the Bible. His name is Joseph. We're going to circle back to Mary in just a minute, and I'm not talking about Joseph, the one that goes with Mary. I'm talking about the Old Testament Joseph, way back in Genesis chapters 35 through 50 of Genesis. Uh, if you guys have time one afternoon this week, sit down and read that story of Joseph, because I want to analyze his life, and I thought maybe we would start at the end and work backwards. When we start at the end, you'll realize that when we meet Joseph, he is second in command in Egypt. Y'all remember that? He's wealthy. He's making the Pharaoh wealthy and powerful because in the midst of this famine, they prepared and set up so that they had plenty of food, which does a few things. It rescues all of the people that live in and around Egypt, and it made... Pharaoh more and more rich and powerful because people came from everywhere to come and buy grain so that they might live. So Joseph is doing well, right? He's married. He's got two kids. He, I mean, by all standards, he's doing really, really well. And then one day, the ghosts of his past showed up. Literally, his brothers showed up. Now, if you go a little bit further backwards in the story, you'll remember Joseph's brothers did not like him. Joseph was the 11th out of 12 sons. I can't imagine being in a family that big. 11th out of 12 sons, and he was kind of the daddy's boy, and his brothers didn't like him for it. And so they beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to traveling slavers. And then, through a whole other series of incidents that were not his fault, he ended up in prison. All of that happened before he ever came to the place where he was when his brothers came to Egypt looking for food. And there was this moment, and it's beautiful in Scripture, when he recognizes his brothers and they don't recognize him. And I wonder how he felt about that situation. I mean, it, it says several times in the story that he had to leave the room because he was crying, right? And he was speaking to them in Egyptian so that they wouldn't recognize him. And of course, he was dressed up like an Egyptian official. Maybe there's someone in your life that reminds you of some hard things 
and you maybe kind of secretly hope you never run into them at the grocery store. And if you do, I'm not sure what we're going to say, right? Or, or, or something like that. That was this moment with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph responded very graciously. He did play a prank on them, which makes me love Joseph even more, and we'll get into that another day, I'm sure. But long and short of it is, he welcomed them into Egypt. He talked to the Pharaoh, and they found land for them. They gave them land and homes, and he took care of them and rescued his family, is what he did. He rescued the Israelite nation. And so we get to this point where at the end of the story, sorry, I had to look at my notes there. We get to the point at the end of the story where Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And when he died, the brothers were terrified that now he was going to exact his revenge on them. And so they went to him, and, and they basically said that, you know, while dad was alive, you were really kind to us. We just want you to know that we're sorry. We hope that you're still kind to us and things such as that. And he says a line in there that if you have your Bible right now, it'd be a good time to open it up. It's Genesis chapter 50, I think verse 20. And underline it, fold down the page. This is something that you text to your spouse so that you remember it later. One of the most important lines, I think, in the entire Hebrew scriptures. He said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, when we're thinking about our past and we're processing the moments in our past, the, the opportunities that we missed, the bad decisions that we made, the mistakes that we made, maybe some things that someone else did to us and we suffered some kind of injustice. Maybe it's something that no one did. Something just happened. We lost a loved one. We got a bad diagnosis. And when we're processing those moments in our past, I want this sermon series this month to be about us being able to look backwards and saying, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Even if it wasn't really evil, even if it was just a mistake, even if it was something that no one can control, if you can look backwards in your past and process your past in ways that help you grow, then we're in great shape. There are other things that you could do. You could, you could miss out on your first kiss and then define yourself as that guy who's too scared to talk to girls and then you never get to be married to this bombshell, right? Sorry, I shouldn't say that in the middle of church. <laughs> or you can look back and say, I'm not going to miss an opportunity like that again, right? I'm not going I'm, I'm to be that guy. And, it, and that's just a silly example. You all know that the stories in your past are much more serious than the one that I'm sharing right now. And so if we can look back and find ways to process, that's what we're doing this month. And the reason is because this, and I want to read this, I want to make sure I get it right, is because how we think about our past affects the trajectory of our future. And you know that, right? As I just said, you can process things and you can become what those things are, or you can process things in more helpful ways. Let's circle back to the scripture of Mary. Mary got news of an unplanned pregnancy. Some of you all have been through that. Some of y'all have first or second hand knowledge of that. 
and it's, it's stressful. You know that. One day I'll tell you a story about how we got our third child, but not today. But I will tell you a couple of other stories. When I was in Calera, I can't remember when it happened, but at some point, the Baptist pastor's daughter got pregnant. And that became a really problematic thing for them and their church. It, it caused division in the church. It caused a lot of strife for the pastor. It became a really, really complicated thing. And the only reason I tell you that is because a year later, the same thing happened to our pastor. And he came to me in my office when he found out. And he was upset and he was afraid that the church was going to have some kind of problem. And what I said to him is the exact same thing I would say to any of you. A child is never a burden. I mean, I've got kids, and yeah, they're a burden. But a child, <laughs> a child is a blessing, right? And so please don't look at this as, like, let's not start with a mistake or something like that. Let's start with this is a blessing. And, and are there going to be some hard times ahead? Yeah, probably, maybe, I don't know. But are you going to be a great grandfather? Yeah, you are. You're going to be incredible. This kid's going to love you. His parents are going to love him or her. I mean, this is an absolute blessing. And so you look at someone like Mary, and she could absolutely have taken the news from Gabriel as a burden. And instead, if you just keep reading a little further from where we stopped, you get to the Magnificat. You've probably heard of that. It's the song that Mary sang. And the opening lines are, my soul magnifies the Lord. Remember that? And then one or two lines down, she says, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah. It's all a matter of how you look at it. The truth of the matter is, I believe that God is in the redemption business. I don't mean to say, let me give a few caveats here. I don't mean to say that God is giving you tests, like God is putting bad things in your life in order to test you. I don't believe that happens, but I do believe God can take those graves and turn them into gardens, that God can take those ashes and turn them into beauty, that God can take the worst situations that you and I have and provide new and beautiful things out of them that we did not expect. And I'll give you an example. Just last week, we had a funeral over at the Restore Building for someone that is not yet a member of this church, but he's a longtime friend of mine. His whole family was in a car accident in the springtime, and it killed his wife and his oldest daughter, and it put him in the hospital for months. And so that's why we just now did the funeral this week. It was... I mean, how do you process that, right? It, it's the hardest thing you could imagine probably going through. And this is a very small sliver, and it's not the big problem, but he's a friend of mine who has another mutual friend, and they had had a falling out a few years ago. And I had spoken with both of them individually about it, and was like, you guys got to work this out. Y'all are friends. This is not. And they just hadn't. And just before the service started, I took the family out into the hall near the restrooms to pray with them, to give them some, some coaching on how to process their emotions, how to mourn well. And then we took a little comfort break, and when I came out of the bathroom, I saw the two that had, had kind of had a falling out. 
they're hugging and I didn't know if one of them was even going to be there and and they're hugging and they're, we're talking about two grown men taller than me hugging and crying in each other's shoulders and y'all that for me that was the sermon now let me give one or two more caveats here that does not bring Tim's wife or daughter back it does not remove the pain and I don't mean to minimize it or say that it does and one more thing let me say this I'm not a pastor who is going to sit here and tell you if you just have more faith, you don't need to go to therapy. Like, therapy is real, mental health is real, it's every bit as real as your physical health, and so I'm not trying to give anyone a substitute. And I want to say that because I forgot to say those things at 8.30, and, and I've already had conversations about them. These things don't bring people back. They don't undo the pain, but I believe that God is in the redemption business. And I believe you guys might want to go through and watch the movie The Christmas Carol sometime this season and see how Scrooge processes his past, how he looks at his future and things like that, because that's what I want us to be doing this month. And I believe as we think about our past in more healthy and I believe more biblical ways that we will find where God is planting something new and beautiful, even in the midst of enormous pain. I don't think there is a better example of that than the communion table. Today, we're going to come down and we're going to receive communion. This, of course, is, is a reenactment. It's a remembering of the night that Jesus had dinner with all of his best friends. We had Thanksgiving just a couple of weeks ago. It was like a Thanksgiving dinner with all of his family and friends. They had, they had great food. They, they had good times. And then at the end, he transformed it because he knew that everyone around that table who were his best friends were all going to abandon him at some point. He knew that he was facing crucifixion. And the reason that any of us are here right now on a Sunday morning is because three days later on that first Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. We are a people who believes that God takes broken things and redeems them. And goodness gracious, why else are any of us here if not? And so I want to invite you all today as you come to receive the body and blood of Christ of course, we'll come down. I'll talk through the nuts and bolts in just a minute. But I want to invite you, if you'd like to spend some time at the altar to do so, or if you'd like to just spend some time in your chair, just thinking about some of the most transformative moments in your life that have led to who you are today, and in what ways those have been healthy and in what ways they have been less than ideal.